beautiful singing going on out there. <laughs> Praise God for another time to sing these glorious words. And I trust that your heart is rejoicing that you are singing these words with your mind and not just with your lips, that these words are, are seeping into the fiber of your being as we think about the glory of Christmas. It is so good to be back together again tonight to celebrate the glory of God in the incarnation of Christ. That is what we are here to celebrate, God's glory. Remember what the angels sang as they erupted in praise before the shepherds. In Luke chapter 2, verse 14, they, they proclaimed in the heavens a multitude of the heavenly host, a multitude of heavenly uh, angelic, uh, an angelic army. These are, these are soldiers. Anytime you see, these are heavenly soldiers. Anytime you see this language of the heavenly host, you're talking about the armies of heaven. And they proclaim this, glory to God in the highest and on earth, earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The birth of Christ is for the glory of God, and it is for the good of His people. And God is glorified in doing good to His people. He is glorified in saving sinners, in bringing us peace. Peace with God. We must be reconciled to God because of our sin. We are separated from God. We don't just call out to God anyway and just uh, expect that He's going to hear us. He we have to be reconciled to God, made right with God. And so it's through Christ that we are made at peace with God, peace with our neighbor. We know that we do not naturally in ourselves love our neighbor as ourself. We love ourselves at the expense of our neighbor. And peace in our hearts. Our hearts are naturally uh, like like a ship on, on a stormy sea, they're always moving about. Our, our hearts are unstable, not at peace, trying to find meaning and joy and happiness in all the temporary pleasures of this life, having no hope in God and having fear of death. And Christ has come to bring peace to our troubled hearts. Our focus for today is John chapter 1. Verse 14, which reads like this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That is our verse for today. That's been our focus this morning. We covered most of that verse, so the bulk of that we covered this morning with a sermon entitled, The Son we celebrate part one, and so if you're interested at all in that, or you get to the end of tonight and you feel as though the context is not there, please go and listen to that, The Son We Celebrate, part one. Tonight, in part two, I want to briefly look at that last phrase, full of grace and truth. That's going to be our focus this evening. We've seen God with us, we've seen glory before us, and now we come to grace toward us. And so you'll see there on the screen, we looked at the first two this morning, and tonight, grace toward us. 
So what does John mean when he says that the enfleshed word, Jesus Christ, is full of grace and truth? Well, what is John getting at with that language? And it's always important to remember that the disciples of Jesus are Jews. They're Hebrews. They think in Hebrew terms. And so what is John saying when he says that Jesus Christ, this enfleshed word, is full of grace and truth? Well, in order to understand this, we have to go back to the book of Exodus, which is very convenient for us uh, because that is where, as a church, we have been for the last two years. Uh, And actually, the, the point I'm going to refer to here in a moment is where we are right now. In order to understand what it means that Jesus is full of grace and truth, we have to go back to the second book of the Bible, back to the Old Testament, to the book of Exodus. God has shown his glory to his people. He has saved Israel out of slavery. He's brought them out of bondage to the Egyptians. They have oppressed them, and the people have been enslaved for four centuries. And God has rescued his people. He saved them. He has provided for them. And in many ways, he has shown his grace and faithfulness, especially in the golden calf incident. And as a church, this is the portion that we just looked at, that horrendous story of Israel's sin, that as Moses is up on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments from God, down below the people go after false gods. They make for themselves a golden calf and they bow down to worship this golden calf. And it is after this event that Moses asks To see God's glory. And we read that in Exodus chapter 33, verse 18. Moses says to the Lord, Please show me your glory. And at that point, you're sort of scratching your head a little bit because Moses has already seen so much of God's glory. God has parted the sea, God has revealed himself to him on the mountain in the glory cloud. So, in so many ways, Moses has seen God's glory. But it is at this stage that he says to God, please show me your glory. And then God responds to him in verse 19. I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, or my name, Yahweh. Then he tells Moses that he will allow him to see his back after he has passed before him, but that he will not be able to see his face. Of course, Moses would be blown away. Uh, No one can see God's face and live. And so he tells Moses, no, you cannot see my face, but I will allow you to see my glory as I have passed by. Of course, that's incomprehensible to us to think what it is that Moses saw. But that is how God answers his request. Then... In chapter 34, we get this event actually taking place. And so we read this in Exodus 34, verse 5. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. 
And then we get these crucial words in verses 6 to 7. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord. And any time as you're reading the Bible, as you're reading the Old Testament, any time you see capital L-O-R-D for Lord, that's the holy name of God. That's Yahweh. And so the Lord passed before Moses and proclaims to him, Yahweh, Yahweh, or the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. Now notice how God defines himself. Notice how he describes himself here. A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So what do we get here? As God declares his glory, as he declares his name, he he gives uh, Moses audibly a declaration of his glory, and he passes before him so that Moses is able to perceive, at least in part, God's glory. And what God does in declaring his name, in manifesting his glory, is that he proclaims that he is a God of grace and faithfulness. He's a God of mercy, a God of steadfast love, and a God of faithfulness. In other words, he is a God of grace and truth. So, when we come to John's gospel, when we come to that very first chapter, and we come to chapter 1, verse 14, and we read John describing Jesus as full of grace and truth, here is what we are meant to understand. All the demonstrations of God's covenant keeping love throughout the Old Testament. All of His kindness, mercy, grace, and faithfulness to His people are summed up and fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. He alone is full of grace and truth. So think about all that you've encountered in the Bible. All those instances of God displaying His compassion, His kindness, His mercy, His grace, His covenant-keeping love. All the instances that we read about in the Bible of God doing that. All of that stacked up, fulfilled entirely in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the way that John summarizes this, the way that John captures all of this, is he says of Jesus that he is full of grace and truth. In other words, in Jesus, we have the clearest supreme expression of the goodness of God, of the name of God, of the character of God in flesh. Jesus puts the Father fully on display. And so we read in John chapter 1 verse 16, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So what we are meant to understand is that all of the grace of the old covenant All the grace that God demonstrated in the time of Moses. And you can put there that story of the golden calf. You can put there David's 
sin. Have you given much thought to David's sin? Adultery, murder, and we see God coming to David in grace. God forgives David. Of course, there are consequences for his sin, but God is merciful to David, even in his adultery and his murder. All of that grace that we read about, all that's demonstrated at the time of Moses, before the time of Moses, after the time of Moses, all of this utterly eclipsed by this maximum display of grace in the coming of Jesus. This is steadfast love and faithfulness fulfilled. And that is what we celebrate as Christians. That is what we celebrate at Christmas. This one who is full of grace and truth. So this morning, we talked about the incarnation as the central reality of Christmas. This is the central truth. And what I said to everyone is, listen, as parents, make sure that this is the one thing that your kids do not miss. That they do not miss this one great truth, that at Christmas we celebrate the fact that God became man. That God the Son joined to himself the human nature. He elevated our nature. And then later he died as a substitute in his humanity. He, he had to take on a human nature to die as a substitute for our sins. And so we saw this morning that the central truth of Christmas is this incarnation, that God became man. But we asked the question, what does Christmas mean for me in my everyday life? What does it mean for me practically? What is the great truth of Christmas that bears in on my soul? And I think these words at the end of verse 14 are particularly applicable and relevant to us as we think about our own personal lives. And it is this, Jesus Christ is full of grace and truth. So what does this mean for us? Well, let's take each of these words in turn. First, grace. Jesus Christ came for sinners. So if you are a sinner, then you qualify. And guess what? We all fit in that category. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. We've all disobeyed God. We've all pursued self over God's glory. We've all pursued the comfort and pleasure of self over the good of neighbor. No small thing, either of those. We have sinned against a holy God. But Jesus came for sinners. He came for sinners like you, sinner like me. And he came full of grace toward sinners. You know, Christmas puts on display for us the one great hope that we have as sinners. And so I expect... Uh, this evening, as, as in a crowd like this, that there are some here tonight who are not believers. Maybe you're not a Christian. You, you, you might say you're a Christian. Someone asked because you, you grew up in a Christian home and you would affirm basically that there is a God, but you're not a Christian. You haven't trusted in Jesus to forgive you. Your life is still very much about yourself, your own ambitions, your own desires, your own goals for life. 
your own satisfaction simply not about God. It is not about the good of neighbor. Well, no matter where you are or what you've done, and if we could peer into each of our hearts, each of our lives, we would see all kinds of things represented in this room. All kinds of things that we have done. Places from which we have come. But whatever fits in that blank space, whatever fits there for you, Jesus is the one place of refuge. He is the one place of safety. He's the one place out of all of that. Out of sin. Out of depravity. Out of a futile life lived for self. A life ending in darkness and destruction. A life that you know is empty because everything you think will satisfy you comes up short. To that life, Jesus declares himself to be the one who came for sinners full of grace. He is a cup full of grace. You know, your sin, whatever it may be, is not mightier than his grace. And no matter what it is, and you can put anyone there. Look at David and what he did. Look at Peter. He denied the Lord. Whatever your sin, Paul killing Christians, whatever your sin, it is not mightier than the grace that is found in Christ. And so what is the call? Repent. Turn from that sin which you know to be empty and turn to this Christ who is full of grace to forgive you. Full of grace to take away your sins before a holy God. Full of grace to give you a new heart. Full of grace to equip you day by day to live this life for God's glory and not worshiping self. Turn from the sin and drink freely from this full, tall cup of grace. And secondly... We see truth. This idea of truth. Jesus is full of grace and truth. No matter what happens in this life, God will never abandon his promises in Jesus. He is perfectly faithful. None of us can say that of ourselves. And none of us can say that of anyone we know. We are not perfectly faithful. There are many ways in which we have been unloyal. We've, we have been unfaithful. We have not kept our word. We have not lived up to our end of the bargain. So many ways in which truth does not reign in our words, our thoughts, and our actions. Many ways that we are not Faithful, this is not so with God. He is perfectly faithful. He will never abandon his promises. He will never abandon what he has said he will do for those who come to him by faith. For those who lay hold of him and believe in him, as Paul says, they will never be put to shame. Never. 
No one who comes to the Lord, who calls on Him, who takes hold of Him, will be left empty. Will be left empty-handed. We can stare sickness, sorrow, and death in the face, clinging to the faithfulness, to the truthfulness, to the truth of God in Christ. In the hour of death, this is the only thing you will have to cling to. Because guess what? When that hour comes, there will be no next weekend. There will be no vacation standing out there in the future. No more promotion to get. No more money to spend. No more shiny thing to hold. It'll be over. It'll be done. And so the question is, what will you have on that day at the end? And the only thing will be the faithfulness of this God in Christ. He is full, full to the brim of truth, full of faithfulness. This is the glory of God in Christ, our only hope in life and death. Let's pray. Father, we bow before your holy face. And we thank you, God, that Christmas is not merely a holiday. It's not merely time off from work. It's not merely time for presents. It's not merely time for a sweet, nostalgic service together. Lord, it is filled with power. Because you are a God who saves sinners. And so Lord, I pray that we would all look to this Jesus, whether uh, we have not known him up to this point or whether we already know him, that we would look to this Jesus as the one who himself is full of grace and truth. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.